This time on Poll Hub, to paraphrase a famous book title, what's the matter with Tennessee? It's a fair question after a supermajority of Republicans in the state house there expelled two black Democrats, but not a white Democrat, all of whom allegedly violated the decorum of the chamber. There's new polling showing that action may be even a little much for Republicans. We'll talk about it. Then is ChatGPT making stuff up? Well, the short answer is, at least in one case, yes. And in that one case, it was about a poll. So yes, we have some thoughts about that, chat GPT. And we finish with Lee's favorite topic, sports. In 1937, America's pastime was America's favorite sport. But in 2021, we'll have to stick around to find out. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. I'm Barbara Carvalho. And I am Lee Maringoff. So Tennessee home to country music and Elvis, and wow, what the heck's happening at the State House? Uh, as mentioned in the open, uh, Republicans who have a supermajority in the State House there uh, expelled two Democrats, both of whom are black, uh, and did not expel very closely, uh, almost did, a white Democrat, all three of whom uh, were accused of violating the decorum of the legislature. They did so by, uh, in one case, bringing a bullhorn onto the floor and leading a, uh, a protest uh, of people that were in the chamber, public in the public area of the chamber. And they were protesting the fact that Republicans were passing a, a law that allowed for Tennesseans to get guns more easily. And this was, of course, in the wake of the horrifying mass shooting at a Christian school in Nashville just uh, a short time earlier. So um, all of that being said, uh, and a lot is packed into that, uh, there's been a lot of questions about whether this is a, a bridge too far. Have Republicans gone too far in this case by expelling two members on what seem to be fairly slim charges in something that has barely ever happened in history in Tennessee? And there is some polling around that. So uh, let's, Lee, let's start, though, with kind of your sense of where are we in American democracy when this happens? Well, what we're seeing, and, and we're seeing it on other issues in other states, um, and that is when the overwhelming numbers in the legislature, called a supermajority, exist, uh, we're seeing legislatures moving forward with some uh, pieces of legislation or overriding vetoes and what have you, uh, which are... Uh, yeah, very much, uh, as you said, uh, uh, a little bit too far, a little bit off the edge there. And I think what we're seeing is that it's became what 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 was a local story became a national story uh, very quickly uh, with all the Sunday news shows having these uh, two representatives on. Um, there was obviously a, a racial overtone or to it, uh, given that the third protester was white and um, by a one vote difference, she was not expelled. This created probably more mobilization against the legislature uh, than the legislature's action did, and it's not going to stick anyway. Uh, so it, it was at best a, a grandstand uh, measure. Um, I would point one thing out. You know, there were some comparisons made to the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, that this was you know, sort of equating, uh, you know, disrupting legislative procedures and therefore, all disruptions of legislative procedures were, were, you know, the same and should be punished in a similar way. And I would just add that, from my vantage point, and I think most people, there is no valid comparison between what happened in Tennessee 
uh, in terms of this peaceful protest and what was going on at the U.S. Capitol where people died and there was great destruction and chaos. Um, I just think it's a, just a, a no comparison uh, despite people uh, making uh, efforts to make that comparison. So, Lee, let me just pick up on one point uh, that you made about the supermajority, because I think back in the day, the supermajorities were actually called mandates. So you did have a, uh, a po political party that uh, had a very sizable majority in a legislature, whether that was at the state level, the local level, at the federal level. Um, but there was some sense that there was uh, that was connected to uh, a voting majority and that in that sense, it gave them a mandate to govern and a mandate to uh, to move uh, on in, in particular directions on issues. I think it's really important, the point that you're making, that it's it seems not necessarily associated with the gun issue. We're seeing this in other states uh, with super majorities uh, on, on other issues, particularly abortion. Um, and some of the other cultural issues, uh, we see it uh, when it has to do um, with uh, tra uh, transgender rights uh, and LGBTQ rights. So um, this is something that we're seeing around the country. And I think the real difference here, um, and Jay, you mentioned this hasn't you know happened since probably you know the mid nineteenth um, century. Um, the, the thing that I think is really different is that these are super majorities not based on voting mandates, but really on two other things. One, our electoral structure. Uh, which was designed to protect minority viewpoints, which um, which you know allowed uh, the voice of, of of people who did not have majority um, support to uh, to be heard in legislatures. And the second is um, about redistricting and making the districts and designing them in such a way uh, that there is little competition uh, between the parties in them. And it, what has happened in that sense is that now have a majority, often a majority view, which has been disenfranchised. And I think that Tennessee has really touched a chord because of the fact that it is so much to one side of the issue on guns uh, as opposed to, to the other. Some of the things you pointed out and some of the numbers that we have seen is a USA Today Ipsos poll finds that three out of four U.S. adults say that legislatures should have the right to peacefully protest at state houses. However, you know, peaceful protest, uh, you know, can be in the eyes of the beholder. And so I think there is a, certainly some disagreement uh, in Tennessee as whether using a bullhorn uh, is something that was considered to be peaceful or disruptive. Uh, the other thing, though, is that we also see in this poll that, um, you know, Americans really split a whether... 49% uh, to 48% on whether a legislator who disrupts a hearing should be expelled. And not surprisingly, we see the divide along partisan lines. Democrats by more than two to one saying that they shouldn't be expelled and Republicans saying that they should be. But uh, I think we have a really, you know, a bigger problem here uh, that is both structural and designed over the last couple of times that we have had these redistricting issues. The other thing about the poll that stands out to me was, um, and Lee gets at your point about uh, the equivalency of this somehow being equivalent to an insurrection at the Capitol. And, um, 
you know, 54% of Republicans, which is, you know, majority, not a big majority, believe that this is the equivalent. What happened there was the equivalent to the insurrection. And that being said, when they also asked, well, how closely are you following this? How much do you really know about this? Democrats were more likely to know about this and be familiar with this 57% than Republicans, only 39% who were familiar with this. So this also gets to something else we've talked about a lot on this show, which is the siloization we get our information, our news, uh, and it's not the same. It's, yeah, I just we're want not to... hearing the same story. We're not getting the same facts. Uh, some of us aren't getting many facts at all. And for that reason, I think you have these increasingly uh, partisan results on every question we ask because we don't live in the same reality. Yeah, and I would point out that uh, in uh, Vanderbilt University uh, did a poll last year, uh, which found a supermajority in terms of public opinion in this case, the opposite of where the legislature wants to go, uh, the the supermajority is that 80 percent of people in Tennessee believe abortion should be legal, well, at least some circumstances, and 71 percent of Tennessee parents favored expanding background checks to uh, for gun purchases. So there is a public opinion out there uh, that is just uh, totally contrary to what the legislature has been doing and the direction. But this seems to be, as they say, a national story made out of uh, not a national event. Uh, and it, uh, it attracted a whole bunch of attention, uh, probably beyond which the um, the legislature had hoped for. I'm not sure they won this issue at all. Well, we also wanted to kind of jump into the fray on chat GPT, speaking of misinformation. <laughs> and uh, and actually, uh, I'm not alone in that view. Many Americans actually in our more recent Marist poll, 68% of Americans, uh, including 30% of account holders of ChatGPT, have little or no trust in the product uh, to provide accurate information. Uh, I think that skepticism is probably uh, a good thing. Uh, I think whenever we're searching uh, um, on the Google or the internet or the wiki, whatever it is we're, uh, we're looking for, the YouTube, as, uh, as us old folks like to call these things, um, there you need to have some sense that, uh, that what you may be seeing may not be accurate. Um, but in this particular instance, uh, the... A number of different media groups have been testing ChatGPT to see how closely the information is to reality. And there have been a couple of interesting ones. Uh, I believe uh, NPR, took, one of our partners, took a look at whether it could design a, uh, a space rocket that would fly, and it couldn't. But our favorite was actually when 538 wrote an article about the program, and they went to the source. They asked ChatGPT about how Americans feel about open AI. And sure enough, in, in milliseconds, uh, the answer came back with a 2021 survey by the Pew Research Center uh, that found 71% of Americans believe it is generally a good thing for society if robots and computers become more capable and sophisticated, while only 27% believe this would be a bad thing. Now, that sounds really interesting, saving a lot of research. The only problem with this data is it doesn't exist. And so 538 even went to the Pew Research media team 
uh, and they couldn't find where ChatGPT got these numbers. So yes, there are some issues with this new technology. Um, some have called it, uh, it hallucinates a bit. Um, it's, uh, it is biased a bit. Uh, well, we're educators, so not just pollsters, but also educators. So I'd like to also start with what are, what are some of the implications of ChatGPT for our students and, and uh, you folks as teachers? Oh, Barb, so I think we need to sort of say what this is about, uh, because um, I am only recently made aware by you what the ChatGPT is. Uh, because you sort of used it in my class uh, and uh, found some interesting results. So could you just back up one second and say, for those of us who aren't with the program, no pun intended, tell us a little bit about what this is. Sorry about that, Lee. Oh, it's well, it's, it's, an op it's an open AI program. Uh, it was launched uh, last October, and it's a conversational uh, program uh, that you can ask questions of the original or free version of ChatGPT. And if you do pay your extra $20 uh, a month, uh, you do have access to a, um, a more current version, uh, which does uh, include the current internet, uh, as well as allowing you to have better access than uh, the, the free version that kind of gives you, uh, puts you at the top of the queue instead of, uh, instead of at the bottom. But the idea here is that you it just uh, a little bit more than just the Google. It actually searches uh, not just based on the internet, but also based on other training from individuals having asked questions and rating its answers to better uh, give you an answer that is applicable to your question. And I didn't want to say accurate because accuracy isn't necessarily its most important virtue. There is the sense that it can kind of put things together that never went together before, which is probably something that it found in this particular uh, poll that it reported that Pew Research had found. It probably put some information together about the Pew Research Center that it does polling that probably did a 2021 survey, and it may have even done a survey um, on computers, but it wasn't certainly the answer to OpenAI. So but I don't know if that helps at all. It helps enormously. And I think from an academic standpoint, this can be both a valuable resource or very scary um, because of uh, its misapplication. In my uh, the course Mary Griffith and I teach on democracy, uh, you took a, a hunt through uh, liberalism and conservatism versus democracy and autocracy on a variety of topics um, of, of events in the United States. And I think it did more than an excellent job. Uh, the scary part became, what if this replaced people's own research and all of a sudden you get, you know, really misleading information or unsighted information? I don't know. Well, first, it's not just ChatGPT. Artificial, conversational artificial intelligence. Google has launched BARD and there are others. This is uh, not a one-off. It's not something that is uh, specific to this point in time. This is now done. This is like, you know, Google search came out of the box and it's done. We're going to have it forever, um, or at least for the foreseeable future. The thing that I would tell students, and I think that a lot of people don't understand, is that uh, conversational artificial intelligence can seem like it is sentient, like it's us, like it can reason. It can't reason. 
It's only taking the information that it has and spitting it back at you in a conversational form. It's a parlor trick. It's a very effective and very powerful parlor trick, but it doesn't have reasoning. Now, that may change, and that'll be a whole different conversation when the robots can reason. But I think that's a really important distinction. And Lee, when you talked about people not being familiar with it, only 38% having a good deal or a good amount of information about it, a majority of people don't know very much about it. And I think that's the most important part is that this is just a conversational version for now of Google. It won't be uh, going forward over time, but I think that's a really important point um, is that uh, you know it's not sentient, it can't reason. Uh, you can ask it lots of questions, but it can only spit back what it's been fed. And that's a something, especially for students, when you're thinking about how you might use this, uh, and for all of us, use it as a search engine. Don't use it to write stuff. Don't use it to reason. Don't use it to come to conclusions because it can't. Yeah. Well, well, hang on a second, guys. Um, yes, I mean, to a certain degree, but I think what's very interesting is um, what has been uh, some of the uses of it since it's been released. And I'm not sure like that just like any uh, developers, uh, they don't necessarily foresee all the different uses that people can use this for. Morning Consult asked their panelists uh, in industries, uh, workers in healthcare, design, engineering, and finance, and accounting, uh, whether their industry had more to gain or more to lose from generative AI tools. How about polling? Do we have more to gain or do we have more to lose? Well, I don't know. We could probably question the questions, right? You can it can rate questions. We've, based yeah, we've on already done questions that. in the past, but mm -hmm. beyond that, I I don't know. You still have to be in the driver's seat on this. You have to be sort of calling the shots, as it were. Uh, but uh, the it can make up numbers. Clearly, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, pulsers aren't really doing that. Right, today. but we don't do that, right? Yeah. I, I think it's just still an open-ended uh, question, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, but I think that um, this is a development that's very potentially powerful in the information age, and I don't think we have the answers yet to where this is going to go, uh, but you know, we're sort of appropriately being critical of it uh, uh, before we uh, you know, sort of embrace what it may be offering. I've been impressed uh, but also worried about the information. Well, I kind of think of it, we have used it uh, for a number of different things at the poll. One is for questionnaire development and questionnaire writing, because uh, at least for me, I see it as another colleague in the room that has a really, really good vocabulary. <laughs> Which means probably better than mine. Um, well, let's go back, turn the clock back to a era where this discussion would have been totally <laughs> foreign uh, about uh, uh, all kinds of conversational intelligence. And that is in 1937, way back in the founding era of polls, uh, the Gallup organization asked a, and I want to point out an open-ended question, and I'll say that for a reason in a minute, 1937, as I mentioned, about what your favorite sports to watch is. And I assume at that point, obviously, this is a pre-TV era, so watch did not necessarily mean uh, on TV. See, technology gets in the way. Of yeah, you have you had to be this at is in the, person. You had, yeah. yeah, you had to be at the stadium. You had to be, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and they and I think the national pastime, as Jay alluded to in his opening, 
not surprisingly won with this, but 34% said baseball, 23% said football, and nothing else got more than single digits except the no-answer category. Basketball was next at 8%. Fast forward to uh, 2021, and SSRS uh, did it as a multiple-guess, multiple-choice um, question, uh, and surprise, surprise, football at 36%, uh, baseball had fallen to third at 11%, and uh, basketball at 12%. Two things I found interesting in this, um, in that uh, obviously the, the, the decline of baseball and uh, surprise they are now, you know, using all kinds of rule changes this year to speed up the game and try to address uh, what has been a falling audience. Uh, but that was one thing. The other thing was uh, soccer, which did not score in 1937 uh, any goals, if we want to continue the analogy, uh, no points for soccer. At 8% right now, only three behind baseball. Uh, and so soccer emerges in this uh, era uh, and uh, now becomes a, a very – Big score, uh, auto racing at six, and you know other sports. Uh, um, you know the ice hockey's golf and tennis is uh, uh, not scoring well at all. Um, I find uh, this makes a lot of sense because uh, football is to me extremely engaging uh, and intense, whereas baseball has gotten better because the pace has really changed this year, and I think that people watching it. Uh, or, or, or following it, are, are noticing that. But you guys jump in on this. Yeah, Jay, I think you're you're chomping at the bit here. To, to you know, I love sports, and I love sports fun facts. So, no, I have nothing to. I mean, yeah. So sociologically, I do have something to say. Uh, I, if you ask this question again in 20 years, soccer will be ahead of everything but football. I would predict, based on the the cultural changes in America. Yeah. There yeah. you go. I'm actually surprised it's it's taken so long to take hold here. Um but uh but it's it's the other football that has uh that has engaged Americans. And I and I think the I, I, I think the the um the the interest in, in football is also I mean, even though you can watch it, you know, pretty much every night of the week, uh if you are a, a real football fanatic and enjoy watching other teams. You only get one shot at your team each week. So I think it does make it a little bit, and it's not that many uh, weeks of the year. So I think it does uh, it does draw attention simply because we don't get to do it too often. And the other thing is uh, with football, it's the one sport where no matter when I'm watching the game, it, there's always food involved. And, uh, you know, I can I can watch a basketball game, you know, kind of in passing or a baseball game in passing. But it's not something that you prepare, you know, you prepare for in terms of uh, snacks uh, and, and other uh, food. Lee, Lee, how many hot dogs did you have at the Yankee game last week? You went to I, I, Well, this was interesting because my normal quota is four, but the game was quicker. And so I only did three. Uh, uh so I think that there's that's a, a change this year. Yeah. I think that's that that's a big change. Uh, I wonder uh, if I just uh, Afton, you're uh, having produced this segment. Uh, I'd just like to bring you in as as a voice of a younger generation. Are you part of the, the the newer numbers or are you part of the older numbers? Um, 
I don't know. I think I would have to agree with Jay. I feel like I might be in the no answer. But I think if it's like on like the TV, if I'm not watching it in person, I feel like soccer is the most interesting to watch. Like if I'm in person, I don't know. Baseball, I feel like is always fun um, just for like the atmosphere. So if I'm in person, I would probably want to see a baseball game. Yeah. But there you go. I think that was a vote for what you were saying, Jay, because in 20 years, Athens will be clearly football, football. I'm sorry, soccer, soccer, soccer. Um, no, it is football. And it might even be it called is. football, football, football. It is football. Yep. Well, some of the crowd are on the pitch. Absolutely. Well, some of the crowd are on the pitch. They think it's all over, but it is now. That'll do it for Pole Hub this week. Pole Hub is produced by the Marist Pole at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. The Pole Hub team includes Ethan Hollis and Eve Fisher. If you enjoy Pole Hub, please consider leaving a review. Positive reviews help other listeners like you find us. If you have questions for us, tweet them at us at Maris Pole. Remember, you can always tell your smart speaker to play Pole Hub, and with any luck, It'll cooperate. Finally, wherever you listen to Pole Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcast app as soon as it's released. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.